Thanks for tuning in to the Strong and Kind podcast. This week, we had Dr. Mary Hegarty. Dr. Mary is a doctor of physical therapy. She is a pelvic floor specialist. She's also my wife. We talked about strength training, pelvic floor therapy, the pelvic floor and misconceptions about the pelvic floor, stress, and a bunch of other awesome topics. We um, had a good conversation. It was it was definitely fun to chat with her and and talk about what she's passionate about and how she helps people. So I hope you check out this episode. Um, let me know how you think it went. Um, you can follow me here on YouTube or on Spotify. Um, subscribe to the Strong and Kind podcast there. And you can follow me at Dave.strengthandkindness on Instagram. Thanks very much for tuning in. I appreciate it. All right, Mary, briefly give me your elevator pitch. Oh, wow. You're really jumping right in. Um, so I help women, particularly women surrounding the time of pregnancy, um, preparing for birth and postpartum, live strong, confident lives and go. doing so without pelvic floor symptoms getting in the way specifically, because that is quite a barrier for a lot of women. How, uh, so I, I like that. That was good. That was, you let that fly. I'm proud of you for that. Um, <laughs> Thank you. What, like, take me through the trajectory of, um, just like your getting, becoming a physical therapist. Um, what made you pursue that profession or this profession or both physical therapists, but what made you pursue this profession? Um, and then like, what has, kind of brought you to where you're what you're doing now mm. okay well physical therapy we'll just start there so I decided to be a physical therapist um actually because of a poor physical therapy experience that I had so I hurt my ankle in high school um and it interrupted my ability to dance so dance has been it's been my thing since I was like four years old um, and in high school, I had an injury and the physical therapy that I experienced was like trying to get me to like walk normally and like function like a normal human. And like, that's just not what it means to be able to dance again. Right. Like you have to be able to point your feet and maintain relevé, which for people who don't know dance, like it's just being on like, um, on your toes. Right. Um, like there are things that you have to do as a dancer that like normal people quote unquote don't have to be able to do. So um, that kind of inspired me to, to pursue physical therapy. I was interested in it. I liked the idea of like exercise, rehab, um, non-medicinal options to treat like pain and injury. So danced in college, went to PT school um, and, you know, did the thing started an outpatient PT. Um, but one, one patient stood out to me. So this was kind of a turning point. It was like, you know, pelvic health might be something that I'm interested in. Um, I had, I had a patient in clinic, um, who came in debilitating hip pain, debilitating. She could barely walk, was using a cane and she's like 32 years old, like really having a hard time. She's been to all these doctors, multiple rounds of PT, um, nothing's working. And I get to know her as I'm working with her. And she's like, you know, um, actually after intercourse, my hip pain always gets worse. 
And so, you know, in PT school, you learn a little bit about the pelvic floor. You don't learn a ton. Um, but I remember talking about it. It's like, you know, you should probably work with a pelvic health physical therapist. And at the time, you know, this, we were both working for this big health system and there were pelvic floor, pelvic floor PTs in the system. So she started seeing a pelvic floor PT, um, like once a week and then would come see me the second day of the week or just like alternate every other week with who she was seeing. And she started getting better. She started walking without her cane. Her symptoms got better. Like by the time we were done working together, like she was like functioning normally and had minimal to no pain. Um, and that was kind of a turning point for me. That, like, wow, like the pelvic floor really is this super influential region of the body um, that's kind of hidden that a lot of PTs don't talk about. They don't know about, they should know about it. Um, and so that kind of sparked my interest and then also how I could help dancers with that information, because as someone who had danced and wanted to serve that population too, I mean, turnout is all about rotation at the hips. Um, you're told as a dancer to hold everything, you know, tight, tighten your core. Like there's just all these cues that you hear in class um, and that's just kind of ingrained. And so your pelvic floor is totally affected. And as I did more diving into information, like, you know, dancers have pelvic floor dysfunction way more commonly than anybody talks about. So those are kind of the pieces that led me to pursue pelvic health. So let's like really quickly, like what is the pelvic floor and why, <clears throat> why does it matter? How, how is it involved? I mean, I don't want to ask you multiple questions, but like, <laughs> what is the pel pelvic floor? Why does it matter? And how does, how does inner, why is it so, um, what's such a part of intercourse, AKA sex? I don't understand your question. So like, why is, what is the pelvic floor and why is it important? Okay. I have my pelvis. Should I just bring it out? I mean, you can, but a lot of this will be audio. You can do whatever you want. Just grab okay. it. You yeah, grab it. No. I don't care. I mean, the, video, the video will be up on YouTube. So yeah, grab it. Sure. I'll talk with it. And then, you know, I'll try to describe it for our, our audio listeners. Good. Um, but yeah, the pelvic floor is just this group of muscles on the bottom side of the pelvis. So for those who are watching and can see, um, when kind of woman's, looking at It's a woman's pelvis, pelvis or female. It, it is a female pelvis, but both individuals with male and female anatomy True. do have pelvic floor. So with individuals who have female anatomy, the pelvic floor crosses three holes, the, the urethra, the vagina, and the anus. And then for individuals with male anatomy, the pelvic floor crosses the urethra and the anus. So you can just kind of be picturing that. It's like this sling, <laughs> sling of muscles on the bottom side of the pelvis. Um, and they're very supportive muscles. They support your pelvic region um, and they connect up into the hips and the low back and the abdominals. Um, and then at the top of that, if you kind of keep moving up, thinking about the ribs, there are these muscles under the ribs called your diaphragm. Okay. They're breathing muscles. And so you can kind of think of a, a very simplistic way to think about this is sort of like a canister or a cylinder. So the bottom of that cylinder is your pelvic floor. So, um, just kind of in a nutshell, um, the, the symptoms like that I would treat or any pelvic floor physical therapist, things like leaking urine, um, pelvic pain, leaking stool, painful intercourse, um, tailbone pain, low back pain, hip pain, pelvic heaviness or pressure, um, 
which can occur whether you've had a baby or not, but is something that's more common in women postpartum. Um, symptoms associated with pelvic organ prolapse, which again, often a more common symptom postpartum. Um, I mean, I could go on, but those are kind of the big ones. Constipation, there's another one. Yeah. Uh, you you like float your own boat a little bit because like people will go to pelvic floor therapy and not have a good experience. And because like some people don't actually take a lot of things into consideration. So like what gets, or people go to their OB post baby and they're like, well, I'm having these problems and they don't actually get help. So like, what's, what's, what are some of the problems or the things that you think get missed when it comes to working with, you know, the people that you're helping? I think there's a couple layers to this. Um, so the first, the first thing that I've heard happen is, um, and this isn't every provider, so I'm not going to throw everyone under the same camp, but I've heard this over and over again. So it is something that's happening, um, is that, you know, OBs at like a postpartum visit, for example, or even, you know, even people who aren't having babies that are maybe like leaking urine or having some sort of pelvic floor dysfunction symptom, they're just told what a Kegel is and told to go home and do Kegels. And that's not going to be the solution. I would say for the majority of people, there are occasional instances where maybe just connecting in that way with the pelvic floor, which even knowing what a Kegel is, is something where there's a lot of uncertainty to be quite honest. So oh, yeah. um, part of my role too, is to help my clients understand what it actually feels like to contract and draw the entire pelvic floor up and into the pelvis, um, not just like a portion of it. And then the other piece of this is like, learning how to let those muscles go. So um, I've also had instances with clients where they've been told to do Kegels and they do tons of Kegels all day long and their symptoms get worse because guess what? Their problem wasn't that they were strong enough. Their problem is that they're holding way too much tension all the time. Um, and so I would say the other layer to that is, so number one, people are told to just do Kegels. Number two is sometimes that route will make symptoms worse and then they're more confused, right? Um, and then the third layer to this, and this is an issue I see just, you know, within physical therapy, spe specifically pelvic floor physical therapists, um, is we're not looking at the pelvic floor as a part of like our entire body system. It's isolated as like just this group of muscles on the bottom side of your pelvis and all it does is affect pooping, peeing, and, you know, sex. And you're, I mean, when talking about the pelvic floor, I mean, when you're lifting weights, when you're running, when you're picking up your kids, when you're picking up a grocery bag off the ground, when you're jumping, like your pelvic floor is involved in all of those things. Um, and so layering in managing pressure and developing tolerance to loads like jumping, running, lifting heavier um, are also layers that are missed, I would say specifically in like rehab. Um, so a lot of the clients that I work with who have seen other physical therapists, particularly pelvic health physical therapists, have been given primarily like just pelvic floor isolation type exercises, but they haven't been educated at all about how to lift in a way that's going to support pelvic health and how to progress with lifting or running or jumping um, it, we've kind of just missed the mark. It's all like table exercises instead of moving people into the positions that they like live their life in. Yeah. 
I mean, uh, like we talk about this a lot because we go on walks together and we chat <clears throat> about this stuff. But occasionally, occasionally we walk together. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Where'd you learn all this stuff, Mary? <laughs> no. Um. There's a loading leading question. So what? When? Like, what are some of the things that you know? Either people haven't been exposed to like a, a pelvic floor therapist or they've been just told to like live with it. Like what are some things that you try to like questions that you ask to help maybe guide people to like getting a different opinion? Like compared to previous care, is that what yeah. you mean? Or, yeah. Um, I'll ask, I'll ask questions like, um, I mean, I'll ask about what, what their rehab looked like. Like, just give me, give me some ideas of what your rehab looked like. Um, and if I'm given answers like, oh, we progressed to like pelvic floor contractions, like repetitive pelvic floor contractions or just pelvic floor contraction holds, um, or all the PT did was release work. Um, so whether that was with, you know, a pelvic wand or literally the PT releasing the pelvic floor muscles, um, and that's all they did we could be missing the mark. And again, those can be important layers. I'm not saying that those interventions are never helpful, but we're missing really important pieces to help somebody succeed with all the things they want to do um, and longer term progress. Um, biofeedback too, like. That's kind of like I somebody. I don't see that. I have just... not. I mean, I'll be honest, as a pelvic floor PT, I've never utilized it, I've not, but I've never had to utilize it. So yeah. people get better with, with cues, with helping them understand their anatomy and actually what things feel like instead of, oh, do you see that that's lighting up so your pelvic floor is tight? Let it go and just like staring at this, you know, light that's telling them that there's tension, but they don't know how to let it go. Yeah. Um, so just like more education and describing what to feel and talking about the anatomy, like literally getting the pelvis out and talking about what's going on, like that's way more helpful than some device that you're hooked up to that stresses you out, which actually is going to make your pelvic floor tighter. So there's yeah. that. <laughs> I mean, it's all like biofeedback. It's like people throw technology at stuff without actually like actually thinking about critical thinking about what's going on. Oh, we have a biofeedback machine. Okay, cool. Like, what is that? Like, yeah. if, if you use it appropriately, great, right? So and again, not saying it would never help, but yeah. I just never had to use it and clients have success. So yeah. What, uh, so like, as, uh, what are you doing like now from, uh, you know, like business and treatment, like standpoint, you know, uh, what, where are you at? What are you doing now? Is a really yeah, so it's kind of exciting. Cause in like two weeks, I'm celebrating a year of being on my own, which is super cool. So I'm, I'm working independently. Uh, I practice independently. I started my business, Inspire Movement, um, about a year ago, almost a year ago. And quite honestly, I have said this, that David, without your, your, uh, how do I say this? Your encouragement, your example, I probably wouldn't have done this, but I'm so glad that I have. So that's just a little aside, but um, but now, I mean, there are a couple of gaps that I was seeing as a pelvic floor PT in a, in a clinic. Um, one was helping 
my more like athletic population clients, like pick up barbells again, run half marathons, like jump on trampolines. I was super limited in my ability to help those people for a couple of reasons. Number one, the clinic I was working in didn't have any real weights in it, to be honest. Um, and so the way I work with clients now, they either have home gym equipment, have a gym membership, or they come to our garage gym um, and we can utilize our equipment. So one of those three routes allows us to have that access. Um, and then the, again, the combination of either in-person care or virtual support, um, even like over a screen, like I can coach people through a screen with lifting and program workouts for them that help them progress back into those things. Um, so, so again, that was just like a missing piece that I was like able to provide pelvic floor rehab quotes around that. Um, and like birth prep support and, you know, there were, there were good things. I'm not saying I wasn't, you know, able to help people, but the missing link was for my more athletic moms. Like yeah. I could only get them so far or I only had so much influence. Um, and I knew if I had more influence and in their ability to get better that they could get there, but there was just a gap in like rehab to fitness. Um, and so now um, I work with clients kind of more on a duration. So like three months or six months um, so that I can coach them through the process of returning to specific activities. Um, and it's typically either throughout pregnancy um, or postpartum. Um, and all of their workouts are programmed. Pelvic floor rehab is integrated with, you know, strength training um, or other like fitness goals that the client has. Again, it's completely individualized. So whatever that client's goals are, we'll like create a plan that works for them. Um, the other thing that I see all the time is moms are super stressed when it comes to time. And so being able to create a plan that they can follow that again, integrates the rehab with their fitness plan, rather than it feeling like one more thing they have to do or one more appointment they have to get to. Um, it's just a lot more accessible. So I meet with some clients virtually. Again, I still do in-person sessions, but for most people, it's every two weeks or so. And then they have support from me over an app, um, which is the same app that they utilize for their workout programming. So if there's troubleshooting, like, you know, certain um, exercises that are causing, you know, leakage or pain or whatever, we can adjust that before their next session instead of them just trying to figure it out on their own um, in between. So I hope that's there, a pretty good story. I mean, yeah, that was a very good promotional summary for yourself so good job um, I mean yes you, you asked about it so turned into a spiel um which is good what uh what are misconceptions about birth that like you had or that people have and like what are things that you have learned and you help people understand that you know are like amazing oh so you're moving you're moving on to birth now okay I mean, I'm just like talking about, I'm asking, I'm trying to have a conversation instead of, you know, like. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, that's fine. Um, yeah. So birth prep too is like, you know, something that I don't think a lot of people know that pelvic floor therapists can help with and what, what that looks like and what that means. Um, but yeah, there's a couple big things. So like, number one, you don't have to deliver on your back you don't, there's lots of positions that you can labor in and lots of positions that you could deliver in. 
Um, and I think there's this assumption, I don't know if it's Hollywood, I don't know, you know, and there, there is some like, it's easier for the provider to do their job. Who is a if, provider? What is a provider? Like, like the OB or the midwife, whoever's delivering the baby. Perfect. If, if the woman is laying on her back, um, let's be honest, it is easier for them in many ways. And I don't deliver babies, so I shouldn't speak about that too much, but that, that is kind of the purpose of laying on, on I mean, one's back. To some extent, and we like, this is not being critical, but like what we have done in the past X amount of years is like medicalized birth, right? Which yeah. like, there are people who are like very anti that. And then, you know, we don't really know there's, there's pros and cons to everything. Right. So totally, totally. Like, you know, uh, we've had discussions about people doing like home births that sounded horrific. Right. And then other people like swear by it. Right. Mm -hmm. So it kind of depends on your risk, <clears throat> risk tolerance and what you want and what you want your birth experience to be. But yeah, like I, this is something that I was not familiar with any way, shape or form, but like, yeah, you could like deliver on all fours. Right. Or like in sideline or, you know, X, Y, Z. So yeah. Like, Yep. I recently had a client who, and she did do a home birth um, and delivered in like a squatting position on like a squat type chair. Um, and she utilized a home birth midwife, but like she didn't have tearing. Her outcomes were really good. Like she was really, you know, it was, it was good for her. It was great for her. Um, what, like what's like the goal with pe preparing people to, for birth as best you can. So number one, is kind of just the concept that your uterus is pushing your baby out. Like you don't push your baby out. There are strategies to kind of assist the process, but you're ultimately not pushing your baby out. So this like, again, kind of like Hollywood depiction of what birth looks like where, you know, mom is purple pushing, meaning like pushing as hard as she can, bearing down as hard as she can. Um, it's just number one, not necessary. And number two, just like, it's not helpful. Um, and so it's kind, scary. it's kind of scary. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and birth can be way more peaceful than that. I'm, I haven't gone through it yet myself. Okay. Full disclosure, but like at the same time, like right, we're if you would have, I didn't know it would have been a problem. <laughs> yeah. Um, Maybe, but working with clients, lots of clients obviously who have and hearing about their birth stories, like the ones who really lean into the relaxation breathing, which again, the goal of that is to get the pelvic floor lengthened and relaxed. So it gets the heck out of the way so that uterus can do its job. Um, the ones who really lean into that, like they'll acknowledge that like, they're not pushing, like their uterus is literally like making things happen and they're just kind of breathing through the experience. Um, and then, and then pushing itself, like there's a couple of different strategies that I'll teach, um, and one is with like an exhale and which is open glottis pushing as we call it. And then closed glottis pushing is pushing with your mouth closed without air exiting. Um, and sometimes it's helpful. It would be the option that puts more pressure on your pelvic floor and pelvic organs and potentially um, is harder to keep your pelvic floor relaxed when doing, but it's still a helpful tool down your toolbox, especially if you're asked to push that way from, from like your team during birth. So mm -hmm. Um, yeah, and full disclosure, I don't have any, like any biases on like where you like should be delivering or what kind of birth you should have. Like I'm, 
I support literally whatever the client in front of me wants to do and we'll do yeah. our best to support that. That kind of takes us to a good segue of like, uh, you know, philosophy when it comes to like working with humans. Like what if you had like an overall arching philosophy, you know, what would it be? Um, and kindness. <laughs> That's yours. It's probably some derivative of that. Um, I should be asking you some of these questions. Um, no, I'm I'm interviewing you. I'm just like, you know. My, you you told me podcast. this is going to be a conversation, so yeah. But uh, me, I mean, we can have a conversation. Like you, no, I mean, we, we have a good. tremendous influence on each other, right? Like because we live mm -hmm. together and we are married and we love each other and stuff. But uh, like we, you know, I think one of the things that I get a lot from you is just kind of like accepting people where they're at because I'm very much like a fixer. Right. And uh, the more I've like, you're genuinely, you're genuinely like bubbly and like excited for people. Like even honestly, I've seen you interact with people who like have, you have no business. Like they, they don't deserve how like openly nice and kind you are like, but you've still managed to do that. And I think I do a decent job saying that I'm not going to throw myself on the boat. Like I'm not a turd to anybody, but but like, yeah, like, um, so I think just being kind and honestly, energy too. like a lot of people just their energy, they lack energy, like because of life and you kind of can inject some of that in, in a very like, you know, meaningful and authentic way. So I'll give you some kudos to that. But is there, is there anything that's like kind of changed since you've been more like, because it's your thing, right? I think that's one of the cool things about business is like, it's your thing. So you kind of bring your own thing to it where somebody else might kind of stifle that. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Like doing it for myself instead of for somebody else. Yeah. Is that what you mean? Yeah. I mean, to answer your first question, like my philosophy in interacting with humans, um, I, I think that I really, really do believe that everybody has something unique to bring. And there's always pieces of people that, I'm not going to know or understand. And so meeting people, like you said, meeting people where they're at, figuring out what their goals are and doing my best to help them achieve the things that they care about without my own agenda. I mean, obviously there's things I'm going to suggest because I know as, as a doctor of physical therapy and public health PT, like things that will genuinely help them, um, but also making sure that they feel heard first um, is really important to me because if you're not heard, like you're not going to give two craps Ooh, about what I have to say or, or think even if it's going to help you. Right. Um, so being, you know, quick to listen and slow to speak first yeah. and foremost. And yeah. sometimes I do have to bite my tongue. Sometimes it's really hard to listen to people. I'm not going to lie about that. Yeah. Oh no, I know. I was just, I have five questions typed up and then I switched tabs and it just, I got Instagram talking. That's okay. uh, during that nice talk, like listening, like, but <laughs> it, it, listening is really hard. It's the ultimate skill and we all suck at it. Right. So like, um, it's, it is true. And, and really it, it goes back to like my Angelou, like people want to be seen, heard and understood. Um, mm -hmm. so, and like, that's just the foundation of it. Right. Because like this is mean you can talk about this too like people's problems are unique but they're not like 
that crazy different, right? A lot of times it's like, yeah, your problem, it's, it's unique. It's your unique situation, but like, it's not that different than like somebody else in a very similar situation that has gotten through it. Right. And it, nobody wants to hear that type of advice or like, it's not even advice. Like we want to be seen and heard and understood so that we can hopefully move forward. Right. So, um, when it comes to like, okay, so let's like, we'll, we'll go into like strength training, right? Cause you, sure. I, did you ever think you were going to be like lifting weights? Not the way that I am now. No, no. I mean, as a dancer, right. <clears throat> um, it's just not something that you're like worried about bulking up or like you don't understand I don't know that that culture culture of dance land is just a unique place to be but like nobody tells you that lifting is the way to become a better dancer it's like oh be more flexible oh go to Pilates like like cross training and dance world which I think this is starting to change I think we're making some progress some very slow progress but um like Pilates yoga or like do more cardio because it will make you slimmer. Like those were the kind of stories that I was told as a dancer. And also as a dancer, to be honest, that really didn't have, you know, like body image was not something that like I struggled with to the degree that like a lot of, you know, my friends or other fellow dancers struggled with just because of the culture of that scene. Um, but the like, you know, the body image is like a huge piece of that being slim is a huge piece of that and it can be very toxic um so so just thinking about how you're taught to cross train it's things that like you think are going to make you skinnier or more flexible like it's always it's always funny because like people people like runners think of as cross training like their lifting is still like almost endurance oriented right like they're doing 20 and it's like no like really what you need is like sets of three, right? Like to push your top end strength. Cause you're getting a lot of endurance and like dancers, unfortunately, first of all, like it's good that you like to eat like, and you don't have weird problems with food. Um, I do love to eat. Yeah. Which is good. And you don't really shy away. And you also don't like, this is one of the other things that I am very neurotic. I'm probably very high in trait neuroticism and you're relatively low in trait neuroticism, except for maybe control oriented things. And you know, home, home goods, but yeah. like, uh, <laughs> like you don't really obsess about stuff. Whereas like in dance culture or fitness culture, people get really obsessive about certain aspects of things. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you mentioned, so like, cause I remember before, you know, before we were together, you would go to the gym. Like, what would you do then? Um, I gotta think back. So that was a while ago now. Yeah, I would probably like go on the elliptical for like, like it was like elliptical or like the treadmill for like, you know, 20, 20 minutes or something and then do like some ab work on the mat, maybe like some planks. Um, I'm trying to think. Yeah, that was probably, probably it. Um and like definitely in college, like when I was dancing like five ish days a week plus rehearsals, like if I went to the gym, that's what I was doing was like elliptical. Still it wasn't, it wasn't strength training. I do remember using machines like a few times, like 
telling myself I was going to get like strong, but it, you know, it, it wasn't anything that I ever did like consistently. And I certainly didn't understand like what I actually needed to do to build strength over time. What, uh, yeah. What, um, what do you like, like, what do you like doing now? And what do you hate doing now? Like in the gym? Yeah. I mean, I like, I like squatting, but probably because I've done a million plies in my life. So it just makes me think of like plies in ballet class, like, or like a version of that. Um, and they're different, of course, but it's, they're more similar than some of the other things. Um, and honestly, honestly, squats and deadlifts, anything lower body, like just comes more naturally probably too, just cause that's again, a region of the body that I've trained more my whole life and upper body things. I have had a really poor attitude about, um, but I'm working on that. And as I've been working on it, my bench press has improved. So, you know, working on it. Yeah. I mean, like, I won't say anything there. Uh, go ahead this is the conversation no it's just an overarching theme with like people like if you don't if you don't like at least embrace that like you could get better at it like you're not going to get better at it right like and that's you know we can joke and like I get that like there's a difference between me being your husband and like trying to coach you and I think I do less and less coaching oh yeah there's there's a big difference and I (laughs) prefer Uh, The more, the less, the less coaching I've done, the better receptive you are to actual coaching, which has just been a learning process. And that's like me just suspending my ego to some degree. But like, if every time you're going to try to do something, you're like, I don't like this, or you haven't even really given yourself an opportunity to get better, like it's not going to get better, right? Like that's kind of the nature of a lot of things, right? So like like now when I bench, I just tell myself that I can do it instead of being like, pissed off about it and it's actually helped a lot so yeah i think who for anyone listening for yeah. anyone listening try that It'll so help. when it comes to like women and lifting you know there's kind of it seems like there's people who are like gung-ho about it or they're like they're enjoying it and then there's there's still the crowd and you know i think we should also we'll address this too but like there's also the crowd like afraid of like bulking up or being manly like so what you know what do you say to like somebody maybe who comes to you and they like they know that they need to like maybe improve their their ability to like pick up their kids or be prepared to be a mom right and they're maybe a little bit hesitant or resistance resistant to resistance training like what do you counsel them on what questions do you ask how do you kind of help them through that I think, I mean, the first piece of it is like, I'll, I'll straight up ask like, well, how heavy are your kids? How heavy are your groceries? Like if I get the answer, well, I don't, I don't want to lift. I don't need to lift weights if there's resistance like that, but, but maybe they're having leakage or a pelvic floor symptom or pain with specific things that require them to lift things. Cause sometimes there is just this disconnect of like, wait, my kid's 40 pounds. So if you're only lifting five pound weights, how are you going to be prepared to lift up your 40 pound kid? Mm-hmm. Doesn't make any sense. Right. Um, and then the other piece is like, okay, so if exercise is important to you, because most people say it is like, rarely do I hear, 
oh, exercise isn't important to me. I don't care about being healthy. Most of the people that are reaching out to me that I'm working with want, they're, they're trying to make a change so that they can live a healthier, happier life, right? Um, and that may, may um, include like overcoming, you know, pelvic floor symptoms. But it's like, okay, so like, tell me about some things that you want to be able to do or tell me, you know, aspects of your health that are important to you. Um, and like aging well always comes up. It's like, oh, well, I want to be like an active grandma someday or like, you know, my mom Peter pants like all the time and I don't want to be that way when I'm, you know, 50 or 70 or whatever it is. Um, so then the conversation of longevity comes up and it's like, well, you know, the best strategy for, you know, like aging well, and this is, this is for bone health, organ health, um, and simply this, the ability to stay active and well, decrease your risk of falling. Like there's all these things, right? Guess what our best tool is for that strength training. And then kind of going into the conversation of like, this isn't something you have to do every day, like two to three times a week with, you know, in including major muscle groups is enough. Like, I think there's also just this, this misunderstanding of like, to build strength, like you don't have to do it every day. It doesn't mean you're going to do a yeah. hundred squats at your max every day. That was an exaggeration, but, but you get what I'm saying. Like, I think wow. that individuals who don't strength train are worried that it's going to take up a ton of time. And actually it takes less time than trying to run 30 minutes every day. Right. I mean, so. generally speaking, like where people go is that the, the notion of like fitness in a lot of our collective minds is like this five to six day a week type of thing where you go to a boot camp and you get the crap kicked out of you. Right. And I've been there and I still love that type of stuff. But you have to realize what it is, which and that's just a giant do hit hit of dopamine because you're just like working hard, getting sweaty, and like you're getting the like kind of the endorphin rush, but you're not necessarily like progressively training, right? And in a right. lot of ways, that and it's not like activity is really good. We both are gonna promote activity, but when we hear somebody like who has never really like and that we don't want to like nocebo anybody or say like your squat forms the cause of your problems. But like when we hear about people going to like booty camps, boot camps and doing like 150 squats, a session, like every session. And we see like what their squat was looking like. And it's like, well, like, it's not just that the squat doesn't look good, but it's also that you're just not very strong. And like, this is not going to make you better. Right. Like, um, and you're not, you're not moving well. Like, it's kind of one of those gray areas because we don't I don't like to like say that there's such a thing as like bad technique or that it causes injury. There is bad technique. But like you see some people lift and it's like, well, no wonder like you feel the way you feel. Right. Um, especially if you've done it repetitively for a while. Um, I think I think some of it, too, is just like, you know, in group fitness, it's hard because an instructor is going to cue. OK, everybody squat like this or like press through your heels or keep your feet narrow and forward. And it's like, that's not going to feel good on everybody. Yeah. That, that's not going to be appropriate for every person in that room and repetitive movement in a way that like doesn't feel good. is not going to keep you moving forward either. So yeah, I think, I think the yeah, amount of times where, 
we can be like like the people will be like squatting with too narrow of a stance and they're like it hurts yeah. and then we're like well just widen your stance and turn your toes out and see how it feels right yeah like, some space there yeah. yeah and that's this that the individual nature of like this type of stuff and but then it's also amazing when people like start to feel how like and it's not going to be like a dramatic thing but like over the course of four to six to eight weeks it's like oh i'm like lifting 50 pounds easily like that has a positive effect in your day you just don't really realize it because you've leveled up slowly right yeah, um, yeah. do you do you feel like okay so the, the bulking up is another thing and like i always want to say this too because like there are going to be people who do bulk up fast men or female like their genetics are just and like what what i would consider bulking up is just building muscle fast right like but ultimately that's kind of a good problem to have but most of the people who like bulk up like have been doing it and they've been training and eating that way for a long time and they might even have indulged in the use of steroids right like your mom is worried that your dad is, who's gonna is gonna bulk up or is like gonna be turning to Arnold Schwarzenegger right? like that's literally and she's kind of joking but she's also kind of serious right and so like what do you think that stems from why do why do people feel like that and like you know why does it matter like you know what do you think that comes from I mean I th I think there's a layer to this specifically for specifically for women who want to be like quote-unquote feminine want to feel feminine um there is just like this cultural expectation that I mean look at like magazines and actors and act or actresses and just you know what we see as like beautiful like this definition of what beauty is we think of like these slender slender women traditionally okay traditionally or at least historically like that is just the image that has been put into our head and I again I think we are moving into a a generally healthier place um but the other layer to that is like we also know that obesity is unhealthy like I'm gonna say that like it's the truth right and so glorifying obesity I don't think is the answer either um this is a totally different topic did not think we were gonna get on this today well I mean um, like but, this is but, the... but like the the bulk the bulking up piece of it I just think that like muscle is thought of as a a masculine trait yeah. or strength is historically and more traditionally thought of as a as something that is masculine and again we're moving out of some of that um I don't think we need to be boxed in by that we shouldn't be boxed in by that um, but like these fears, it's more, it's more like rooted in like identity Yeah, that is like actually looking at this stuff and number one, realizing that like, you can get really strong and like, not like look. Oh like yeah. I mean, there's a difference like between training for hypertrophy and there's a difference between training for strength. And there's also just the the neurological component of training which if you you know like right. if you're just really patient you can get really strong without really change like you're gonna get muscular muscular but you're not really changing how big you are very much right and but like the other piece of this is like for women like strength training is so good for us mm -hmm. it's so good for women yeah muscle so good is for organ. Wait, there's this hot topic of hormone health right it's like like building muscle is so good 
for, for hormone balance in the body. And, and it's something that, you know, we, we just shouldn't be afraid of. And I probably feel better. Like, I don't know. I just like feel strong. Um, and like my body feels good, like probably better now than, you know, any, any of the days where I was dancing like five to seven days a week for multiple hours a day, like being strong, like feels better to me than that. Like thinking back about felt like, um, so just, just to like go back. Cause like, we, we don't have to get too much into the, like, because we we're not like, we're not going to be judgmental about like obesity. Obesity is a, is a big risk factor, right? Like in combination right. with other risk factors. And that's what a lot of, I think how we view our job and we view what we're doing as it's like, we just got to manage risk factors. Like you can be bigger and be relatively healthy at some point it might be a a thing that causes some amount of issues right but like in you know i there's a i can't remember the study name or what it was but basically like independent like if you exercise like no matter how big you are like your your lifespan goes up right like if you engage in meaningful activities and exercises like you improve your health right and then you start to add in other things right and then going along with it like the conception of even like in like the power lifter or the like the strength world or the crossfit world is often like more is better and like well let's we'll, this kind of segues us into like stress but like more is not necessarily better like to feel good right and for like general like longevity um because there is like a there is like a certain amount of capacity and tolerance that we can you know manage until we like level up right so we talk a lot about stress and we we kind of use that blanket word but like what do you help people understand about like stress and like how that impacts them and their pelvic floor um totally i think kind of redefining what stress is, is like a good starting point. Um, that stress isn't just this like state of being where you like feel stressed out or like, you know, are feeling overwhelmed. It's also like, how well are you sleeping at night? Like, um, how are you doing emotionally? Like, are you feeling overwhelmed? Like 90% of the time, do you have balance? Do you have social support like what what do your relationships look like because those are those can totally impact stress levels like um you know those are those are just some examples um but then also thinking about how our body physically responds to long term um even acute stress honestly but chronic stressors as well um and kind of in the context more of like you know as a physical therapist what are the things that we're working on more often things like muscle tension, muscle pain, um, having difficulty exercising because of those symptoms. Um, and even looking at the pelvic floor, okay. Which is also a place where we hold stress, um, or like emotional, emotional tension. Um, it's a place that we protect, right. It's a vulnerable place. So, 
Um, we talk a lot about like stress tension in our shoulders, but like the pelvic floor is also a place that we hold emotional tension. Um, and so I will see this happen that individuals who have been under stress for longer periods of time, like their symptoms will, will potentially worsen during that time frame. like urinary leakage, for example, like, and, and too much tension in the pelvic floor can create urinary leakage. Um, but you know, there's, there's a couple layers to that, right? It's like the actual tension of the pelvic floor itself. Um, there's like fatigue and then also just the, the efficiency of the muscle working because of the tension. And then also thinking of the involuntary piece, right? Like your bladder reflexively contracts, which can play a role as well. So, um, and then the abdominals also play a role. So if you're holding tension, what's like a position of safety, the fetal position. So, um, just thinking about how stress can play a role in pelvic health. Um, it's really, really an important piece of educating the clients that I work with. Um, if that's a layer of what's impacting symptoms. I just looked up, uh, if all animals pee when they're afraid, but <laughs> peeing is a, it, it's instinctual physical response called submersive urinate, submissive urination. Right. Or it's like, are there, I think that's part of like a, a fear response or, or a, definitely a flight response. Like I think a lot of animals pee and then run, or they're like pee at like, you know, like they're, they void and then they run. Right. Like, um, definitely in the, um, Oh, what's the book? The zebra book. Yeah. And I think like, that's why that book is such a great reframe for humans is because I think we still, for whatever reason, we think of ourselves differently than animals. But like, when you start to pay attention to like animal behavior, and like some of this stuff, at least from a, like a behavior standpoint, like, and you know this, and I'm like pretty open about talking about like me being burnt out and depressed and anxious and how, like I had the peak, I had the urge to pee constantly. Right. Which is like a weird feedback loop. And it's, but it's also really common with people who are really stressed out. Right. And some people call it like a psychosomatic thing when like, I think that terminology also doesn't do justice to the fact that like everything is psychosomatic, like literally everything is mind body. Right. So like, but it's, it's frustrating to have feel the urge to pee all the time. And that becomes part of your mental makeup. And then you're trying to like fix it. Um, I saw a post today. It's like the six F's of that keep you in pain or something like that. And like one was like being afraid of it. The other was like fixating on it. And the other was like trying to fix it. Like there's, a, there's three more, but that's the other thing. Like we try to fix stuff when we just really should just like live, like try to live, you know, just be present and um, enjoy stuff. And that's like one of the big things that like, I think you are, you want moms and, and um, you know, anybody you work with to enjoy life. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole point. That's literally the whole point Yeah, is that these symptoms are so disruptive that like when I talk to, you know, some of the clients I'm working with, they, I mean, they come to tears when they're asked questions about like why this matters to them Yeah, because it's impacting their life so much or it, it leads them to like avoid activities or miss out on things or say no to things that they actually wish that they could do or would want to do, but are afraid that they're going to pee their pants or it's going to hurt too much. They're not going to be strong enough. Um, and I see that happen a lot around, around the time that babies start 
coming into the equation because um it's it's harder to find time for yourself. Like let's just be honest. Um I had a cool conversation though today with a client who's about to offboard. Um and she she said one of the best parts of working together was finally making the space for herself and and recognizing that it wasn't being selfish. And part of what helped her realize that was she started noticing that when she would go to do her workouts, that her toddler, so she's currently pregnant with baby number two, um, but her toddler was coming into the room when she was working out and like mimicking her. And her husband observed this and he said, it's really cool that our daughter is learning how to take care of herself from you. Yeah. Yeah. And like, she was like, I was so worried about taking the time to like care for myself and pushed this off for so long. And now like in the process of working together, was able to see that like, this is something that's helping instill like self-care in my daughter. And then, you know, the next baby that we have and like, my husband thinks it's important too. And that's been super cool. Um, so yeah. Yeah. I think like, you know, we talk about this a lot because like, I think we just, we've been fortunate enough to like work with enough people where it's like taking care of yourself is not selfish because usually what happens is you can actually show up in life the way you want to. Whereas like when you don't take care of yourself as best you can, there's a lot to this equation, but like usually you become dependent on other people and it makes other people resentful for of you. Right. And like, that's a hard thing to like kind of accept. And then when it comes to like kids, it's like, like uh, being um, a model for just behaviors that are positive and not necessarily just about like snatching your waist, but just being strong and capable and, and feeling good. Like, and, and honestly, cause like there's so much in like the diet culture and the being skinny culture that like work at, working out was a punishment as a, as opposed to just a way to feel good. Right. Like that's really why, like, I I want to, I have goals that I want to achieve and they're like strength oriented and that motivates me, but I feel better after every single workout I've done. Like generally speaking, like there's maybe a few that I was like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. But like, (laughs) and I will say too, you like, we don't have to get too into this, but you're usually like, sometimes you are a bit resistant to doing something, but usually by the end of it, you're glad you did it. Right. Like that. Is- oh yeah. I'm not going to act like I want to show up all the time when I know I should. I think that's part of being human. Yeah. But, but I mean, the other thing about that is like, it's not even just about feeling good. I think feeling good is part of it, but it's also like showing up for yourself to, to make progress is also about being able to then like go jump on the trampoline with your kids, like instead yeah. of watch on the sidelines or, um, you know, sign up for the 5k with your kids and not worry about you know, leaking or not doing it. Like, it's like being a participant with your kids rather than, you know, being the mom watching all the time because of how you feel, honestly. Um, yeah. I, if you want to watch, that's fine. But if you're watching because you are afraid of like a symptom or whatever, like that's a different story. Yeah. 
I, I think like, you know, you are a very present person. Like you have, you naturally are very present. Uh, and I am not, but I'm work, I work on it. And I think like being present in what you're doing, you know, the function of being here now is to enjoy your current experience. Right. And things that detract from that, whether they be technology, whether they be stress, whether they be like pain, like those are the things we're really trying to overcome, like on a regular basis. And it doesn't mean that any phone usage, any phone usage is bad, right? Like it's okay to scroll TikTok or scroll Instagram for 15 minutes if it's just like fun, especially if the content, like I send you memes and stupid crap all the time, right? Especially if it's fun and you get a little bit of like a inspiration or a laughter out of it. But if you're just scrolling in ways that literally probably stress you out, like we need to examine this, right? And like the same thing when people's people, you know, and this is this the other hard part of life and I'm, I'm ranting a little bit, but like we don't have very you good- are. You we are. Get, well, you've been ranting too. So give me some, give me some, <laughs> but like I life has never been more just non like boring for lack of a better way of saying it. Like there, we could literally fill our every waking minute with like entertainment or like triggering stuff. Right. Or, mm -hmm. you know, and so like, that's one of the real things that like, workout working out has become for me is like oh it's a form of meditation like i'm literally and you know this too when i was really struggling like there was a few panic attacks which sucked because it was like working out was my like time lower i actually could actually feel like i was okay in my body um but for the most part like when i would go work out i was not stressing out about my symptoms right like i was actually just present and it was and like that actually probably pulled me through until I had panic for the, attacks. For the most part, for the yeah. most part. There were a few workouts. It was like, why Why do I feel like this? But you were also like capable of doing the things. Exactly. That you were doing. It was like me literally mind. That's what I would remind you. I was like, um, yeah. but you which, just did X number of pounds, which tells me that you're, you're okay. okay. Yeah. Which in, if you learn to be objective with yourself, that like can be a good thing, right? Um because you're like, wow, I'm not, I'm not feeling great today, but I still deadlifted 225 pounds. Right. Kind of shows you that how you feel sometimes is not always true. Right. Um, which we can get into that more and more. Didn't you say like that you felt like I was crowding you in the bathroom the other day when like, I really wasn't, but you're like, that's just what it felt like. And I'm like, oh, yeah, like that's literally what being a human and being married is. So, um, no, this has been this has been good. I think let's go get burritos instead of making tacos, just because it's it's time to that go. Let's go get something quick and, and enjoyable. What? Yeah. Um, well, like let's really quickly dive into um, <clears throat> if, like you got give me three to five tips that you know not like clickbaity stuff, but like your three to five tips for for people you know um, who want to take care of, like women or you know like potential mothers they want to take care of themselves what are some things that you recommend like that are just really good general advice um if you don't know where to start with exercise start with the acsm exercise guidelines like i think that exercise can seem daunting and it's like okay like what should i do if you literally don't know where to start like use those guidelines to put something together so those I guidelines mean are I'll, you want me to do it or do you want to do it? Sure. I'll say what it is. 
I mean, because I don't want you to botch it. That'd be. I'm not gonna botch it. I know what it is. What is it? 150 minutes of moderate aerobic activity or 75 minutes of vigorous aerobic activity per week, plus two to three strength training sessions that address all major muscle groups. Yeah. It's technically really 75. I didn't know that. I can't, I can't believe you. That it's was really. No, it, I'm, I'll mansplain it here. It's technically However, 75. Hearing how we actually communicate with each other. This, I cannot believe that you said that to me. Anyway, keep what? going. 75 <laughs> to 150 minutes of, there's a, it's a range, which kind of a, co- it is a range. To like progression, 75 to 150 minutes of vigorous activity, which is essentially like challenging cardiovascular work right so i'm keeping it simple for the people i get it i get it i'm just trying to specify you can make it you can do more but like yeah which would be like walks like 75 minutes of vigorous which would be like a hit workout or maybe like jogging intervals or riding your bike hard biking yeah Yeah. thank you you're doing good i'm not just i'm just trying to keep it so that's tip number one how many tips did you say let's do two more two more tips um, that Kegels are not the only form of like rehabbing your pelvic floor, um, that pelvic health symptoms are sometimes because things are too tight. Um, but it's also important to learn both. So even if you're contracting, just like being aware of what relaxation feels like, because the other layer to that is sometimes if you're only working on relaxation, then it's like a temporary fix. So any client that I work with, it's like, we're working on both contraction and relaxation, but it's also just to develop, to develop awareness of all the things. Um, but just recognizing that Kegels are not the answer, put simply, like for everything. They're a small piece of the puzzle. Very small piece of the puzzle. Um, gosh, and a third tip. Hmm. Third tip. I'm getting tired. Um, and now all I can think of is burritos. Um, Good. Oh, I think the, I think the big thing we. Oh, I got it. I got it. Um, the third tip is pelvic floor symptoms slash pelvic floor rehab is not just for like postpartum women. Yeah. Literally, pelvic floor dysfunction can happen at any stage of your life. Um, you could, you could be someone who quite honestly, like has had multiple babies and not really had much for symptoms. Um, but you hit menopause and you start having issues. So, I mean, in there are, there are like 20 year olds experiencing pelvic floor symptoms who have never had children, never been pregnant, any of the things. So, you know, even though, you know, pelvic floor rehab is marketed to women who are having babies, it can be present in anyone. Yeah. including including men so anyone yeah. i mean on the podcast i was on with that guy greg like a week and a half or two ago like we talked like it men pelvic floor dysfunction in the form of like erectile dysfunction is legit and it's a lot of it a lot of these things are like they're not just stress but they are systemic stress it's like you know kind of it's not even a great way to say it like it's hitting you where you live, where you care, right? And for men, a lot of times that's down there and, and yeah. stress and anxiety and stuff like that is, is a wicked. I mess. mean, even like tight pants or having your bike not fit right can yeah. affect your floor function. 
and, yeah. and you know male and female anatomy either so 100%. uh Just, where can people reach you um my instagram is kind of my first answer for that so at mary haggerty dpt is my instagram handle so if you give me a follow there um you can dm me on there and then i also have an email address if you listen to this and you don't have social media so it's very simple mary haggerty dpt at gmail.com you can Perfect. email me if you have thank questions you. or connect, if you already want to connect that that's how you can get a hold of me thank you so much for your time uh i gotta record like an intro to this podcast and then we'll go get a burrito so great thank you Thanks so for much for your time and uh oh and i also want to just note that it's valentine's day week and it's kind of kind of fun that i'm on this podcast the week of valentine's day <laughs> I made it to episode two, which evidently getting to episode two means that you're doing better than like 97% of podcasters or something like that. So thank cool. you very well, much. I appreciate it. Kind of, if the strength and kindness podcast really, really gets going here, maybe I can be a guest again someday. Perfect. I'll be <laughs> back. All right. Bye. Love you. Bye.